Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast on the Western Front Association with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 27th of August 2018 and this is episode 78. On today's programme, I talk to historian Dennis Williams about his latest book on the British Second Army and its role in the liberation of Flanders during the Hundred Days. This is published by Helian & Co. I spoke to Dennis over the interweb from his home in East Sussex. Dennis, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. We're going to talk about your latest book today on the operations of the British Second Army in Flanders during the final months of the Great War in 1918. I wonder whether you could start the interview by giving us some background on yourself and how you became interested in the Great War. Well, the main reason is because I was, uh, after giving up, uh, or not giving up, but moving on from having a real sort of full-time job, uh, one of the things I did was uh, to take a part-time MA at the University of Leeds. We're into the noughties now in terms of time scale. And um, as part of that, I had to find a topic for a dissertation. And I was put in touch with um, Professor Peter Simpkins, whose name may be familiar to most of the listeners. And uh, one of the ideas that he put forward, something that hadn't been looked at before, was British Second Army, General Plumer, and the 100 days of the First World War, final few months. So that became the topic for my dissertation, and I subsequently decided having only scratched the surface of a forgotten topic, that uh, it would probably could be usefully expanded into something uh, in rather more depth. So that led me to, ultimately, uh, the research that led to the book that we're talking about today. So following on from that, why do you think uh, a book was necessary, or firstly on the closing stages of the Great War, and, and in particular the Second Army? Well, I suppose uh, as far as Second Army are concerned, essentially they were a forgotten army at, during that final stage of the war. One only has to look, for example, in the, uh, the indexes, even of either academic works or more popular titles that deal with the First World War, in particular 1918. If any listeners want to look in the indexes and look for, the, say, the Battle of Courtrai to be mentioned, and you'll find it probably doesn't even occur in the index. So that gives some indication of how the whole campaign in Belgium, Flanders, has been just overlooked, even in the more detailed and researched histories of the First World War. So it was clearly a lost topic, a forgotten army, that was worthy of uh, further research. I mean, the only book that's actually covered the campaign in any real detail is the official history, uh, which is now some decades old. There has been a little bit more coverage in one or two other titles, but essentially the whole area and the whole history has been overlooked and forgotten for a number of reasons. So before we look at the operations of the Second Army in 1918, can you explain what the army was and how it was organised? Well, it was one of the five um, British armies that were on the Western Front at that uh, time in the war. It was the most northerly of those and occupied the front line across Flanders, a bit remained of the Belgian that was still occupied by, by Allied forces. To its north, there was the Belgian army holding the, their particular line, and then below that, uh, further British armies and then the, the French. Uh, so it was one of the five British armies. It had been involved in different ways as a headquarters in uh, the spring battles and the German offensives that uh, took place then. 
uh, and have been involved during the summer in some gradual advance uh, in response to German withdrawals uh, that are taking place. By the time of the start of the book, we're looking at the op plans by Haig and Foch, who was the overall uh, generalissimo, so to speak, or the overall coordinating commander for the Allied forces. Uh, they were looking to create a sequence of offensives right across the Western Front, and Second Army came to be part of the offensive that was to take place in, in Flanders. So what was the composition of the army in terms of numbers of division and number of corps? Yeah, it's quite interesting. It was the, one of the smallest armies uh, to, that Britain retained at that time. There were four corps, four army corps uh, that constituted it, 2nd, 10th, 15th and 19th, and altogether it comprised 10 divisions. Uh, some of the more famous ones that, uh, again, listeners may be familiar with, like 36 Ulster or Ulster or Knight Scottish, uh, and also some... Uh, Less well-known divisions, uh, say 35th, which had previously been a, a Bantam division. What is particular of uh, note as far as Second Army are concerned is the fact that five of the ten divisions were in fact rebuilt from May 1918 onwards, following the losses that had occurred during the fighting in spring of 1918. Um, so it, in terms of the quality, shall we say, of the, the, the troops that made up Second Army, it was clearly on paper the weakest of all the British armies that were placed on the Western Front at that time. And that may well be one of the reasons why Haig was prepared to see it form part of a coalition army group rather than operating under his command on its own. So that brings us to Army Group Flanders that the Second Army was part of. Can you tell me about that? And, and was, was this a unique arrangement on the Western Front at the time? Well, it was certainly unique uh, on the Western Front. There was no other British army that was part of a coalition force. And here we have Army Group Flanders that was put together that comprised Belgian, the Belgian army, French forces, and also British Second Army. That was pretty unique, and also unique in terms of a, a British army being placed under foreign command because for political reasons, um, the overall command of the Army Group rested with Albert, who was King of the Belgians. And it was part of a deal that was struck between Foch and Haig and Albert to ensure that the German army was prepared, the Belgian army was prepared to take part in an overall Allied offensive at that time, because previously uh, Albert had resisted uh, any overtures to take part in any offensive operations. So it was very much a political solution to try to ensure that the fairly fresh, if unproved, uh, Belgian army would form part of a general Allied offensive at that time at the beginning of autumn 1918. So in the autumn of 1918, up until the winter, obviously the armistice in November, where did the Second Army fight? What, what sort of part of Flanders did it uh, um, move through? Well, of course, the most, most well-known part of the Second Army's responsibility was the, uh, the city of Ypres. Everyone seems familiar with the Battle of Passchendaele in 1917. Most people, or at least a lot of people, are familiar with references to what's called the Ypres salient. That's the sort of bulge in the Allied line where we still retained responsibility for the city of Ypres, really the, the last remaining piece of Belgium that was still in uh, Belgian or Allied control, uh, whereas the rest of Belgium was um, occupied and under the administration of the, the German army and German forces. So the Second Army was based in and around uh, Ypres, part of holding the, the Western Front at that point, and the offensive that was launched with the 
Battle of what's called Fifth Leap, Battle of Fifth Leap, in September 28, 1918. The fighting then took place across uh, Western Belgium, or Flanders as it's more commonly known, and with or in cooperation with Belgian forces, led to the liberation of uh, a large part of the country of Belgium until the armistice brought fighting to a halt uh, in November. So what um, actions were the army involved in? I think you've already touched on the Fifth Battle of Ypres. What actions were they involved in and what did they achieve on the battlefield in the closing months of the war? Well, according to the um, the sort of British orders of battle, there were two main battles fought. That was the Battle of Ypres, Battle of Fifth Ypres, uh, 1918. And then in uh, October, there was the Battle of Coutray, which I mentioned earlier as being one of the battles that uh, everyone seems to have uh, forgotten about when writing about the fighting in 1918. So those were the two main battles that it took for part in. Uh, there were also two large, what is termed, major operations, uh, the Battle of Uthgum, and the Battle of Tegel, uh, which again, Second Army was uh, responsible for. The main achievement of Second Army was essentially uh, the liberation of Belgium in conjunction with uh, the Belgian Army, and the fact that it advanced, as the book makes clear, for over the course of uh, about eight to six days, uh, it advanced a total of 53 miles, liberating Belgium, liberating towns and villages in Belgium as it went. So when you come to explain the battlefield success of the division in the closing stages of the war, what factors do you think uh, were important? I'm thinking about whether it could be tactics, intelligence, their commander, Plumer, who we know had a, a great reputation, mm. or air power, materiel, I know we can go on forever, or indeed maybe a weakening or weakened uh, German army. Which one do you think was most decisive in, in, in that sort of mix? Well, I mean, all of those were factors that applied at that time, and, and of course they were common for other uh, British armies that were also advancing uh, to the to the south of Second Army. I think there was particular distinctive features as far as Second Army was concerned. I mean, first of all, the army itself had no tanks. So in terms of um, combined arms operations, uh, the use of tanks, which were available for armies, the British armies to the south, uh, were not available to Second Army. Uh, it did cooperate very strongly with the... Uh, the Air Force, that was certainly a major part of the planning that, that Plumer was involved in. And also, probably one of the most important factors in terms of its achievements was the success of its logistics, in the fact that it was able to maintain the supplies to the advanced forces, despite all the various problems encountered in terms of terrain, communications, and uh, the notorious Flanders weather, of course. In terms of tactics, operations on the ground were very often determined by the junior commanders and indeed what tended to happen was that all arms were placed under the command of a junior commander so that uh, an infantry battalion or two or three companies of infantry would have field guns machine guns attached to them uh, and operate as a small combined uh, unit in a sense uh, as far as all arms are concerned in fact one of the most interesting things that i was at uh, quite excited to discover was that uh, part of Second Army developed the idea of what would probably be termed battle groups, so that uh, a number of different arms were placed under the command of one particular brigade commander uh, and then would operate almost sort of semi-independently uh, to ensure that the advance could, could be maintained uh, while the logistics were sorted out behind it. And did the army face any major problems in its advance? Uh, I know you've already touched on a couple like terrain, but was morale becoming a problem and manpower shortages? 
There's no evidence that morale in itself was a problem. I think the troops were actually glad to be seen to be achieving something after uh, the long period of uh, stalemate and attritional warfare of the previous years. Uh, and certainly being involved in the liberation of Belgium, then many of the advanced forces, of course, were welcomed with open arms by Belgian civilians. And that made a very diff- gave it a very different flavour to the outcomes from the fighting than had perhaps uh, previously been the case. In terms of some of the practical difficulties, then certainly terrain and weather were major problems. Gas had been a major feature of warfare in Flanders, leading right up to the 100 days. And there's no doubt that both German and Allied forces made regular use of gas in bombardments, for example. So that very often ground, and indeed the very atmosphere above ground, had been contaminated by the, the use of gas. So that was a further problem that uh, units had to face as they, as they moved forward. So that brings us to the issue of casualties. What were the numbers of wounded, missing and POWs that the Second Army suffered during its advance in the final months of the war? Well, um, very roughly, between um, 21st September and the armistice in 15th of November, uh, Second Army suffered about 27,000 casualties, and a very high casualty rate that was, although it was not inconsistent with casualty rates for other British armies during that stage of the of the war. Within the book, I have tried to look at some of the, uh, or some analysis that's been done of casualties within the First World War in comparison with, say, the Second World War, when the general perception is that casualties were much lighter. What that tends to suggest is that when you put up place factors, or bring into play factors such as how many, what proportion of troops were actually involved in frontline fighting, where the strongest scale of resistance was in terms of the the main force of the, the German army in, in both cases, then the actual rate of casualties is comparable with similar major operations by the British Army during the Second World War. So certainly, for example, if you took the Battle of Alamein, then casualty rates there, or indeed during some of the fighting in the Italian uh, on the Italian front, would compare similarly to the sort of casualties that, that the Second Army experienced. I think there's, um, it's been pointed out that despite all the dangers of trench warfare, uh, it's a far greater danger for an individual soldier when he has to get up out of the trench and make himself a target for the enemy by advancing. And casualties in modern war will, will increase accordingly. Finally, is there a memorial to the men of the Second Army? There is. I suppose, given what I've said about Ypres, then you would expect to find that in the, at the Menin Gate. But in fact, because the, there simply wasn't room on the Menin Gate to record all the missing and, uh, and dead, uh, which just indicates the, the scale of loss that uh, we all need to remember about the fighting at that time, then it's the Tynecott Memorial, where one would have to go to, to find a record of the, the missing and uh, um, those killed during the uh, the hundred days uh, for Second Army. Finally, Dennis, where is your book available from? Well, the stock answer would be that it's available from all good bookshops, and I know that Hellion, although a niche publisher, do uh, have various uh, arrangements for selling the book. And I do know just from my own research that it's available on eBay, and on Amazon, and on A Books, um, and various other sources on the on the internet. I'm also a second-hand book dealer, and I will also be selling the book direct myself. Thank you very much for your time. I've appreciated it. Thank you, Tom. 
You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.